the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now keep in mind where Paul is emotionally. He's at a low point in his life. His relationship with the Corinthians has been estranged. Instead of loving and following his leadership, they were antagonistic. They were distrustful of him. His last visit with them had been painful. Their hearts were closed to him. He had wept tears over them. They had caused him great grief. And the last he knew, they loved the false teachers far more than they loved him. No wonder Paul was such a brokenhearted man. No wonder he was so down. There's nothing that's more devastating than being rejected by people that you thought cared about you. It's like ripping your heart out. You might have been a confident person before, and all of a sudden, you're afraid of what people might say or do. You worry about little things that really didn't bother you before. Maybe the hardest thing of all is trying to think about getting back together with the people who have hurt you. The world says, just try to forget about it. God wants to heal our broken hearts and renew our broken relationships. He wants to give comfort where fear has taken over. You're listening to the radio ministry of Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is teaching out of 2 Corinthians. The message series is called The God Who Comforts the Depressed. We all need to hear what God has to say to us. Here's Pastor Steve with today's message. What about the fears within? Well, you have to be honest with the text. Fear is, is sin. And Paul was in a sinful state of worrying. Worry is the first cousin of fear. Paul was in a sinful state of worrying about the concerns he had for the Corinthians. There's no justifying this. Paul was worrying. He was a depressed individual because he was a fretful, anxious, heavy-hearted man. That's the state. And Paul's very honest. And I, I so appreciate Paul's transparency. Paul never tried to convey in any way that he was above all of this. You say, but didn't, didn't Paul write us that we shouldn't be fearful and we should trust? Absolutely. But you know what? Those of us who handle the word need to live by the word, but there's always the sense in which the word is far better than the messenger of the word because it's a perfect book. And I always tell young preachers that, that you want to live by the word, but you have to be realistic too and recognize that you will never, never be as good as the book. So I think Paul is just being very open with us, and, and I so appreciate his, his honesty. It's sort of like Romans chapter 7. The good that I want to do, I don't always do. The evil that I don't want to do, sometimes I do. Paul's just being honest. So he had outside pressures, inside worries. Now, have you ever felt like that? Certainly, if you're human, you have. And I think everyone here is human. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed by outside pressures and conflicts and along with our own worries and, and fears. And sometimes it is very, very difficult. And we struggle with these things. But the good news is that you don't have to live like that in a continual state. You don't have to. You don't have to live like that at all. Why? Because 
Paul, who is depressed, tells us in verse 6 that God is the one who comforts the depressed. He encourages us. He strengthens us. What a wonderful truth. In fact, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he touched on this when he said, God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us so that we will be able to comfort others with the same comfort that we've received of the Lord. It just sort of puts a perspective on our own struggles. You're, you're not struggling and, and going through difficulties in a random uh, way so that there's no explanation. God has a purpose. He allows us and sometimes sends us troubles so that we will experience his comfort and we in turn will learn from the word how the word ministered to us, and we will minister the word to others and comfort them. Now, that's what he said in chapter in chapter 1, but in chapter 7, he begins to define that a little bit more, and he tells us, he affirms this truth, God is the source of comfort and encouragement, but he takes it a step further. Paul tells us actually how God brings us out of depression, and that's what we want to look at beginning today. How is it that God comforts us when we are down? That's what Paul tells us. Paul tells us using his own life as testimony, this is how God ministered to me. But these are timeless truths of how God is the source of all comfort and he is the one who will comfort the depressed. This last section of chapter 7 is very practical. It's very personal. It's very helpful as Paul tells us how God ministered to him. So that's what we want to begin to, to look at. And we'll start this week and we will continue until we finish this, this chapter. And then we will move into an area that Lakeside has had very little teaching on, and that's on the, in the area of giving. Very little teaching on that because I always feel awkward about speaking on that subject, but it's in the text, and I always tell folks I will deal with the text when we come to it. And we are coming to it for two chapters. You're going to hear about giving because that's what God's Word says. But today, we want to discover uh, and begin to discover the principles of how God encourages us and lifts us out of depression. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look, first of all, the first way or the first principle that God uses to encourage us the first way that God encourages us, which means comforts and strengthens depressed believers, is this. Number one, he renews broken relationships. That's how he does it. He begins by renewing broken relationships. Notice verses 6 and 7. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. By the way, as we go through this passage, you're going to see that Paul uh, was brought out of depression. When we end this, he's rejoicing. He is, he is rejoicing. Now notice in these two verses, four times in these two verses, Paul mentions the word comfort or encourage. It's the same, same word. In doing so, he's telling us how God comforted him. That's what this is about. And it all centered around Titus finally arriving in Macedonia and telling Paul what had gone on with, with his visit with the Corinthians. You must understand, Paul is not comforted simply by Titus arriving. I mean, I think that would have lifted Paul's spirits, but I don't think that's the point here. And I know that because if Titus came back and gave bad news, that wouldn't have comforted Paul at all. Then you'd have two depressed spiritual leaders. That's, that's all. 
Uh, maybe misery loves company, so they could have helped themselves that way. But that, that's not his point, that Titus came back. I hadn't seen him for a while. It was so good to see him. It comforted me. That's not it. The comfort he tells us is in the good news that Titus brought back with him about how the Corinthians now felt about Paul. Now, keep in mind where Paul is emotionally. He's at a low point in his life. His relationship with the Corinthians has been estranged. Instead of loving and following his leadership, they were antagonistic. They were distrustful of him. His last visit with them had been painful. His, uh, their hearts were closed to him. He had wept tears over them. They had caused him great grief. And the last he knew, they loved the false teachers far more than they loved him. No wonder Paul was such a brokenhearted man. No wonder he was so down. Listen, and you know this, there is nothing more disheartening than relationships that have been severed. People you have loved and walked with and had warmth, the warmth of fellowship and harmony with, when there's a breach in that, there is nothing that gets to the heart quite like that. It is, it is very painful. It is, it is the love of a spouse who says, I found somebody else. It is the, uh, it is the love and the hurt I should say, of a wayward child who rejects his parents and values and who wants nothing to do with what you believe in. Nothing as painful as that. You can understand a little bit of what Paul is going through. This has deeply grieved him. And I remember I was thinking about it this week. As a young, as a young minister, I went through, not to the level, same degree that Paul went through, but I, I went through that. There had been... Um, some people in our church when I was a young minister that I poured my life into, discipled some of them, instructed others in uh, in the course we used to have on evangelism, and uh, literally gave of myself, of my time and energy and sacrifice. And they uh, eventually left the church because they had heard some things about me that they didn't, they didn't like, didn't hear from me. They didn't come to me and ask if this was true. Then say, Steve, 1 Corinthians 13 says, we believe all things and uh, all things good, meaning about you. And we, we don't believe this, but they didn't do that. And, uh, and they left. You know, that was very painful, very painful, because you realize that uh, you have loved these people. And they have not returned that love and they just trust you now and don't believe you and don't even give you the opportunity to clear your, your name up. Well, that's something of the sort of grief and agony that Paul was going through. But all, all that changed, he tells us. All that changed because Titus brought back good news about Paul and the changed attitude now the Corinthians had for him. Now, let, let me stop here and clarify something because this puzzled me uh, this week, but I, I think that I understand what's going on here. My thinking was this, the early part of the week as I was studying this, and if it's not hit you yet, it should eventually. My thinking was this, Paul, if you knew the Corinthians loved you and Titus brought back a, a report about a changed attitude, what are you writing the other stuff about for leading up to this? What are you telling them, open your hearts to me, if you already knew their hearts were open? What are you defending yourself before and telling them all of this, that you, that you love them, your heart's open, their heart's not open to you, if their hearts indeed have changed and are open to you? And the only conclusion I could come up with, and I think this is really the answer, is that 2 Corinthians must have been written in certain stages. Because it doesn't make any sense if you know these things already, why are you writing this letter? All the stuff in it. Now, even after their attitude had changed, there were still false teachers there and still some unresolved issues and still some perhaps who distrusted Paul. But for the most part, 
Paul understands that, and you'll see this as we look at it today, that they, they longed for him. They, they loved him now. They wanted to see him again. So the only conclusion that I can make that makes any sense to me is that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians in various stages, and that he had, um, when he started this letter, he had the information he had received was that they didn't, they didn't love him. But later, and it must have been that he stopped about chapter 7, probably at verse 3, because verse 4 does speak about his great confidence in them. And that's when Titus arrived. Must have taken his scroll, brought it to Macedonia, and then Titus arrived and gave him good news. And so now he picks up and he tells them that I, I see everything has changed. It doesn't make any sense if you don't take that position. Something happened that, that changed his mind. So I think it's plausible that he wrote this letter in various stages. So he tells them that now I see, Titus says, look, they think differently about you, and I want you to know what they think about you. What is the new attitude they had? We're going to look at the end of verse 7. He tells us in three phrases. All of that to say this. This is the message. Number one, phrase number one, this is the new attitude they had. He, it says, he reported to us your longing. Your longing. What does he mean by that? Paul means that the Corinthians longed to see him. That's, that's what he means. They longed to see him again and have their old fellowship restored with him. They felt very bad about the way they had treated him during his last painful visit and their lack of response to his first letter. And now they want to see him again. They want to sit under his teaching. They want the warmth of fellowship. They want to enjoy Paul and his apostolic ministry to them. That's what he means by that. Now, that's a real change of heart. Absolutely. I mean, how different from, I, I wept over you. Open your heart to me. You've grieved me. I don't want any more sorrow like that. Now they say, Paul, we long for you to return. We long for you to return. See, as I said, it wouldn't make any sense if Paul knew this before, because he's already explained why he's not visiting them again, because it was too painful. But now, new information. He reported to us your longing. You know, there may be someone in your past who you were once close to, but something happened, the relationship has been broken, and it's left you feeling down. When you think about it, you're, you're not a happy person. And just like Paul, there is nothing, as I said, quite as painful as a relationship gone sour. How can God then bring you out of this troubled state and, your, and minister to your broken heart over a broken relationship? You know how? It would be the greatest joy if you heard that those who have walked away from you and broken ties with you want to see you again. I can't think of anything more, more joyful. If somebody who hurt you and walked away, let's say a spouse who rejected you said, I, if you'll take me back, I want to see you. Or a child who calls you up and said, I haven't seen you for years. But mom and dad, I, I want to come home. It's like the prodigal son whose father rejoiced when he saw him from a distance, he welcomed him. How, how wonderful that would be. Well, that's what Paul is going through. Imagine the thrill in Paul's heart. A whole church turned against him, but now he hears, no, no, they've changed. They want to see you. What, what changed? What changed their heart? What was it? Well, that's revealed in the second phrase that Paul mentions. They longed for him but they had an, a new attitude towards their sin. And that's why he said, your mourning, he reported your mourning to me. That's the thought here. Your mourning for me is the thought. Instead of rejecting Paul and his many rebukes for their sins, the Corinthians now 
mourned over their sin. That's what he's saying. You mourned over your sin and you mourned over your treatment of me. You mourned for me. You realized how deeply hurt I was and you didn't want to hurt me anymore. These folks had genuine remorse and sorrow for their many sins. And you know what? This is what it takes to mend a broken relationship. Things will never get right with other people until they recognize their sin, they take personal responsibility for it, and they repent. That's what's going on here. They're repenting. They're mourning. Now, sorrow in and of itself is not repentance, but it leads to repentance. And in this case, it did. What keeps people from being restored to one another, you know what it is? It's pride. It's pride. I will not humble myself by recognizing that I'm to blame. And so we justify and we blame others. Or I've, I've got this illness, and that's why I do this. And I'll come up with a new clinical name for it, and that explains everything. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Corinthians were responsible for their sins, and until they repented and mourned over their treatment of Paul and their sins, they would not get things right. It could be that you've hurt somebody deeply, that you've been the one to sever the fellowship with someone. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to humble yourself, go back and ask their forgiveness. Mourn over your sin. Jesus said, blessed are those who who mourn. That's what he's talking about. Christian life only turns happy and joyful after you first mourn for your sin. And the third phrase he, he used, he said, your zeal for me. What does that mean? Instead of disregarding those sins Paul had confronted them with in his first letter, the Corinthians now became uh, zealous, zealous for Paul and zealous in their commitment to obey him and to carry out his instructions. They had disregarded it, but now they, they wanted him back. They mourned over the way they treated him, and it's like saying, Paul, would you come back? Tell us more. We'll do whatever you say because we recognize who you are. Now, I believe there was still a contingency there that didn't recognize Paul because he goes on throughout this letter to still defend himself. So so the false teachers were still there. The influence was there, and, and there would have been people who still had problems with Paul. But there had been a tremendous shift now. And it seems like the church at, at large had come back and all this was reflective of the Corinthians. See, here, folks, here's the point. To those who are down because things aren't right between you and someone else, God brings comfort by restoring that relationship. That's how he does it. And the way he does this is to bring us to repentance. No broken relationship was ever restored without repentance. And that's why, Lord willing, next week, we'll go into the whole point about repentance. Let me just give you a little taste of it. That's why verse 8 is where it is. And he talks about repentance. For even though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that this letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but watch this, that you were made sorrowful to what? The point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So there, just being sorry, sorrowful for sin is not the same thing as repentance, but you have to have that to lead up to repentance. So Paul is rejoicing. God is bringing him out of depression, and he'll do that for you. And as we bring this to a close, we want to just bow our our heads, our hearts, silent before the Lord. And we want to think about this and how it affects our lives, how it affects your life. What can you do? What can you do if someone's 
If someone's sin has caused a breach in your fellowship, severed, it's not like it once was. You know what? All you can do is what Paul did. Tell them about their sin and pray for their repentance. What else can you do? That's it. But God is the source of comfort, and God can work in people's hearts. God can bring about repentance. Don't give up hope. God is not impotent. He is the God who brings about reconciliation. And secondly, what can you do if you've been the one responsible for this broken relationship? Well, then humble yourself. Humble yourself. Don't justify it. Don't blame others and say, well, I acted this way because they acted this way. They'll stand before the Lord and have to give an account, but you'll stand before the Lord and give an account for your life. That's all you're responsible for. Humble yourself. Weep over your sin. Turn from it and ask the person you have offended to forgive you. That's how you restore a relationship. And you know what? All of us have sinned against God, and our sins have separated us from his fellowship. That's the the plight of, of mankind. But there is a way back. There is a way to be reconciled. And that way is through Christ's death. The cross is our means of reconciliation. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sin. You repent of your sin. You turn to Christ and trust him for your eternal salvation. And the Bible says that that is how you meet God. That's how you get to know him. And I would encourage you and urge you to consider that if you've never done that in your life. But I'm going to give the rest of us a few minutes now to think about how to apply this message to our lives. How uh, if you're down because there's been a broken heart over a broken relationship, how you can best be a peacemaker and mend that. It's either you need to go to them or they should come to you. So I'm going to give you a few moments on that and then I'll close in prayer. Father, we come to you as not only our Father, not only the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, but the God who comforts the depressed. Lord, all of us know what it's like to be down, to feel a little overwhelmed by outside pressures and our own inside fears and anxieties. Thank you that your word addresses this. Lord, we don't, we don't justify Paul's depression. He should have cast every care upon you. He should have trusted you, but being human, he didn't. And Lord, some of us find ourselves in that plight. And I, I pray that what uh, your word has said today will be applied to our lives. I pray for those who have been deeply hurt by others, that you'll work in, in the hearts of those who have hurt us, and that there would be a, a repentant heart where they would want reconciliation. And Lord, if we've hurt others and we've been the one ones to to walk away and to destroy that relationship, I pray that you'll work in our hearts so that there would be true, genuine humility and we would repent and we would mourn and we would return to those we left so that we could get things straightened out. I realize that this can be very humbling, but I pray that you'll help us to do what's right. We, we talked about Jesus being the king and sitting on the throne, but this is what it's all about. Lord, we bow before you because you are Lord. We ask you to draw to yourself those who, who have never trusted Christ. May they see that their sins have offended you, that their sins have severed relationship with you, that our sins have separated us from you, but that there is a way of reconciliation, the cross of Jesus. We pray all of this in his precious name. Amen. Never give up hope. 
God wants to bring about reconciliation in our broken lives and broken relationships. That is the only way that we can really find healing in our hearts, our lives, our homes, our relationships, and our world. Do you believe that God can fix the problems in our lives if we will let him? This would be a good time to ask him to take over and show us what we need to do to make things right. Be sure to listen in again next time as this crucial series of messages continues. Pastor Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio editions of his Sunday messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We're a faith ministry supported by the generous gifts of friends like you. We're available to give you help and counsel. You can call us at 727-239-0306 or contact us through our website, versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. You can listen or download this message and many others on the website. You can also sign up there for our Verse by Verse newsletter. There are several ways you can donate to this ministry and help us stay on the air. It is even possible now to give online. Thanks for taking the time to listen with us. For the Verse by Verse team, this is Jerry Pruden, inviting you to listen in again here on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse W262CP. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.